Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. episode of Home Visit with Tyler Siski and the Associates. Uh, today we have David Beatty, the former head coach at Kansas, uh, joining us today, which I know is just a very, very good interview. Uh, he used to be at Texas A&M where we coached against each other 100 years ago. Um, a lot of you Ole Miss people will appreciate some of the stories that we told about the 2012 game there. Um, and we talk a lot, of, a lot of different topics. Great interview, uh, but you definitely need to make sure you listen to the end of his interview. Um, he has a very interesting connection to the JFK assassination and uh, to the Lee Harvey Oswald assassination. Uh, make sure that you uh, stay tuned in for that. After the interview, we're going to get to the NFL and the games from this past week and the games coming up and talk a little bit recruiting as we finish it up today. So sit back and relax and enjoy our main man, David Beatty. David, how are we doing today, brother? Oh, Tyler, I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on, man. It's an honor to be here with you. And before we get started, I've got a, a niece named Amberly Beatty, my brother's daughter, that somehow finds everything that has ever been done with me, uh, particularly with the podcast. So I'm going to give her a quick shout out. So hi, Amber. Yeah, I like it. So we'll have a, we'll have another listener for the podcast, man. I'm fired up. We, we can get the, we get the family going. We'll be we'll be cranked up and go. Hey, before we get started, we're not going to talk about it much, but you know, we got a lot of fans that are familiar with you that listen to our show. Uh, me and my man DJ covered uh, your your deal this this past season when you got vindicated from Kansas and and look I, I wanted to say this and I know we're not going to talk about it. I don't want to get I don't need to get sued or anything I don't need I don't need I don't need anybody to get mad at me at Kansas don't want you going that. yeah but I want to say this on behalf of the coaches um, of America I want to thank you for standing up for what was right and I think a lot of coaches as I think this is like the new mode of the ads trying to get out of buyouts and everything else. And we talked about that, but I want to thank you on behalf of coaches for doing what was right and standing up and vindicating yourself and getting your name back. And uh, I get pissed off because when it happens, it's a big media story, right? But when you get vindicated, nobody wants to cover it because they don't get enough clicks. But being vindicated, and I think uh, on behalf of all coaches, I think all coaches should send you 3% of their check from, from here on out. What do you think about that? <laughs> man, that's a good deal. Never thought of that, Tyler, but that's a pretty good idea, man. You need to be an agent. That's what you I need know. To do. Hey, you should, you should get like a 3% deal on all buyouts from here on out for, for, because all schools are not going to mess with coaches anymore because of you standing up. But it really was. It was big time, man. And um, you've been a, uh, big time. Uh, you're a guy that's in the business reputation of being just a great guy, a good players coach. Uh, I know you were a high school coach for a long time, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I'm going to start this thing off, okay? And I told you this yesterday. You were on the staff. I, I have three or four games uh, in my career that kind of scar me a little bit lose, from losses. 
And uh, but most of them are big games, you know, like the kick. You know, I was at Alabama. We lost a kick six game. I still don't like talking about it, but I got a big scar there. It's probably the worst one. Um, we got the Egg Bowl um, here a few years ago that got that got us fired. But then the one that really sticks out to me, besides that, like a regular season game, was 2012. We were here at Ole Miss. We were getting things rolling. We kind of on a little run there. We think we were like three and two. Um, and we're at home playing Texas A&M. And y'all had just beaten Alabama. Y'all y'all had a y'all had a squad. Okay, y'all y'all had Johnny Mansell, Mike Evans. Y'all were loaded. Um, and we had a. I'm going to take you back in time to let you know how my how deep my scar is. We had a 10 point lead with seven minutes to go. Okay, and you get the ball. We we got you. We got you uh, back. You know, in, deep in the territory. And Johnny Manziel starts doing Johnny Manziel things, <laughs> and he's running around. And we sack him in the end zone. Okay, and you know he tries to extend the ball out, and the the uh, referee marks it. The white hat marks it at like the half yard line. All right, now that we're both gone. Okay, I'm not at Ole Miss, and you're not at Texas A&M. Was that a safety? I think it was a safety. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, I wasn't sure if he still had the ball in his hand either. I thought he might have fumbled it or something. Uh, but I, I couldn't believe it. I, I do know this. On the next play, we were literally – the nose of the football was on the end line, on, on the goal line there. So we, we were as far back as you could possibly yeah. be. And I did think it was the safety myself. So but. my whole deal was is when you go back and you watch the film and you could watch it, and we have different angles, obviously. The fans know that. We have different angles we watch that you sit on TV or whatever. But when he goes to extend that ball out, first of all, it didn't get out, okay? But then he threw it, mm-hmm. okay? He let go of the ball. So it should at worst, it should have been intentional grounding. They mark it. So intentional grounding in the end zone is, you know, a safety. So – that would put us up 12 getting the ball back with, you know, six minutes to go, which would put us in a good a good spot there. But but instead what happened on third and 19, Johnny Manziel doing Johnny Manziel things, throws it up to Mike Evans, okay? And Mike Evans just – you're talking about you got mossed, just went all over Cinquez. There may or may not have been a little push there, but you can get away – you know, I'm a receivers guy, so I, I'm okay with that. And 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 just and, – and makes like a 30-something yard catch. Then you gut us on a on a uh, on a power play the next play, and then Manziel scrambles. Three plays later, you're in the end zone, and so that changed the whole game. Uh, we went for it on fourth down, the following drive at about the forty yard line, and then who I think was one of the most underrated guys in the league back then was Ryan Swope from uh, that you that you had at receiver was a stud, and catches a corner out and takes the lead. Um, we actually drive back down, get to the thirty, have a chance to kick a field goal to tie the game, and uh, my man Bo. Uh, got stepped in front on on uh, ninety ninety one slant. So, uh, got got us got us picked there about the thirty. And that was the ball game. But that one scarred me because we, when you lose a two score lead that late in the game and had those advantages, I mean, uh, how, I'm sure that was great on your side though, huh? I mean, man, I feel for you because I've been on both sides of it, and uh, man, uh, that that was a very memorable game. Number one because. That team was full of the class y'all had. Y'all had a class of guys that y'all signed. The linebacker, the defensive tackle, uh, number 25, uh, Purdue. Cody Pruitt. Pruitt. Man, that guy was – he's such an underrated player. That dude was such a good ball player. He would knock you out. He was – Man, him, y'all had a little just what a moxkin nickel that played for y'all. Mike Hilton. Man, this dude was a beast. He's still playing. I was going to say that I thought he was a major NFL football player, but y'all were loaded and offensively y'all were loaded with people as well. Uh, 
And, you know, that was our first year. We actually didn't really know too much about what we had really that first year. We weren't sure that we had enough talent to get to get it done that year. Uh, but those kids really did. They responded to, to Kevin and, and our staff. And but that game was crazy. I, I'll never forget, um, you know, we're in empty on that, that one play where we throw that touchdown. Well, we're in three by two. So it's three to the field to the left and two to the right. And uh, we are actually about to run quarterback draw, but y'all line up and man free are about to br- bring the house. Y'all wind up bringing six and, Johnny sees it and he walks up to the line and he checks what we call eight, which is a flag route by number three. And as soon as I saw that, the I knew that we had a chance there because y'all were playing inside leverage on number three. And, and Ryan, Ryan kind of slipped him on the edge and got to the corner and Johnny dropped it in there. And uh, man, you know, and we beat you guys two years later at that place on a last second field goal. I mean, we had some unbelievable plays. And I'll say this: I've been to a lot of places, Tyler, to play. Very, very fortunate in that regard. That was the hardest place that I felt like I ever had to play as a coach. It was so loud. Yeah, when this place is rocking, you know, and I, I've said this before, and we, and we have a lot of Ole Miss fans that listen, So, but I've said this before. You know, when we came – I've been here on two different stops, right? So I came with Freeze. That was our first – that was my really my only season there was in 12. <clears throat> and then I went to Alabama after that. Then I came back with Matt. And I don't remember, 18, 19 months. Years are starting to run together. All right. So, but the difference was is when when we came in, there was so they hadn't they hadn't won a game like an SEC game in forever, and so right. uh, they had a rough couple of years. And so when we started playing good, and we started out, I think we we're like three and two when we played you guys that year. Um, so it was a halfway point of the season. Every game, it didn't matter who we were playing, whether it was you know Central Arkansas, UTEP, Texas A&M, Vandy, it didn't matter who we were playing that year. That place was rocking. Oh. Okay, it was sold out and it was rocking. And then when we come back, when I came back with Matt, got the job, it was, you know, you know, it was empty from the jump. It was just not the same juice. But when this place, is, I tell people, and I've been, and I was on the other sideline when they tore down the goalpost and beat us when we were at Alabama. When this, when this place is rocking here, it's a huge, it's a very difficult place to play. But when it's not rocking, uh, it's, it's not, it's just another stadium. So, um, but that's why I think a lot of times the coaches here, they encourage the fans to show up because they're trying to get as much of advantage as they can get. So, I mean, but, the way that stadium is designed, it's almost like down in a little hole and it's right on top of you. And it is really, really, really difficult place to play. Really cool environment. For yeah. sure. All right, Coach, you and I have a similar background where you spent really the first 10 years um, of your coaching career in high school. Um, and I had really uh, my first full-time job after I was a GA. I went back to high school and spent four years coaching high school level. And I know I got a ton out of it, but I was just curious to ask you, what did you learn kind of as a, as a high school coach and being in that environment? What did you learn that you carried over into the uh, college atmosphere, which is really completely different? You know, um, people don't understand that. But what did you learn and you were able to take from high school level to the college level that, that helped you be successful? You know, Tyler, I mean, you've been through it. I think there's a couple of things that stick out to me. Uh, number one, I don't know how a guy can be a college head football coach without any head football coaching experience at all. It was such a blessing to be a head football coach in the state of Texas uh, because having that experience uh, and hiring and firing 32 coaches from top to bottom, which is way more than you have on a college staff, but you are the secretary. You're, you, you have to wear all the hats, right? So you have to do so much more as a, as a high school head coach because you don't have the personnel that you have in college. Uh, so it takes an enormous amount of uh, organization. The guys that I meet that are like you and I, that are high school guys that jump transition, 
I've, I have met zero of them that are unorganized guys, right? They are super organized because you have to be very mindful of your time. So I think, you know, just being, being a head high school football coach and having to wear all those hats was very helpful for me when I was able to move into a head coaching position and actually go into the college game because it made it easy because you had so many people to help you do the things that you used to have to do. Uh, and then I think the other thing that sticks out to me is, man, in high school, you got what comes to you, right? It's, you, you have the players that live in your area for the most part. Now, there's some areas, some places that have recruits coming in and it's changed. But when you and I were doing it, it was whoever lived there, that's who you got. And you weren't, you weren't going to crap another one. That's who you have. So you have to develop them, right? And development was such a big part of being a high school football coach, of being able to teach them how to do what they do, not, not what to do, but how to do it, right? I mean, we all are going to understand scheme and things, but how you get from point A to point B. There's everybody's trying to get from point A to point B. To me, the ones that make it that that are very successful, the ones that can really be detailed in how they teach kids to get from point A to point B. It's called technique, right? And you have to be very efficient doing that. And the other thing that sticks out with that is in high school, you don't get another one, right? So we trained them all, right? From the freshman to the varsity. If we went through punt coverage, every single kid on the team learned a position. We'd be eight deep at every spot. You may be an old lineman. Quarterbacks were going to be punters, whether they liked it or not, because at some point they were going to quit kick. So they had to start learning as a freshman, right? Every offensive lineman learned how to deep snap. Every one learned how to deep snap because we just never knew when we were going to need to get to that. Every offensive lineman learned how to snap because we never knew when we were going to need to get to another center, right? And you're not going to get another one, so you got to develop the ones you got. When I got to college, it was interesting because really – you only kind of teach a couple of guys at each position, right? Particularly in special teams. And what I what I noticed uh, that when this really stuck out to me is we're going into a situation where we're setting up for an onside kick return in a huge game, and the most key position guy is hurt, and his backups hurt. So we have no one that's ever worked that before, yeah. and we're on the sideline trying to tell this guy in 15 seconds what to do. And he's in the most prime spot. The whole season comes down to this. I mean, the world doesn't understand that, right? So They don't. I've been in that situation before. It's not very good as a coach. I've been in that one before. I mean, and that happens regularly. You know, you were with – I think you were with Jeff Banks and those guys at at, at, uh, Alabama, or maybe he came out, and he's one of the best special teams guys I've ever been around in my life. He was right after me. But, you know, know, and I I kind of brought something to him, his attention. I was like, hey, man, listen – you know, we used to do this when I coached in high school. Uh, you know, we had to be very efficient. But, you know, every year in two days in spring, I mean, at least five times a year, everybody took onside kicks. We learned how to take short hops. Everybody on our team, down to linemen, because it'd be fun for them. But we did a little rotation where, you know, it'd be a little county fair where everybody learned to catch sky kicks and how to, t- how to put your hand up. Everybody learned how to block the sun with their hand away from their eyes. Um, everybody learned how to recover onside kicks. Everybody learned how to do the little things that because whenever that time came, we never wanted to be stuck without a guy that knew what to do and we lose because of that, right? And and one thing I have learned in college is because of that, I've seen a lot more games lost than won because of some situations that maybe fans don't realize, hey, that guy never worked it. And they literally told him on the sideline, I need you to line up right here, two yards outside that hash, and the ball comes there, just covered. Well, hey, that's look, that's not what 
the other guys have been trained to do for years on how to manage every little hop. So uh, training them all, developing them and understanding the value of developing and not ever throwing one away. Uh, you know, when I first got to college, it was amazing how people were giving up on folks so quick. And I'm like, well, you did, did you tell him? I mean, did you show him? That's or are right. you just seeing if he can do it, right? Now, I understand that at the pro level. But, you know, when you first go to college, I don't know about you. This is a great, great question for you, Tyler. It's very intimidating moving from the high school ranks to the college ranks until you get there and then you realize they're just kids. I, I would almost assume it's probably the same when you get to the NFL. They still need to be taught. They need to, they need to be taught technique. They need to understand. And a lot of them haven't been taught a whole, whole lot because some of them haven't had that level of coaching until they get there. But did you experience that? To bring up your point, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I had started in college, right? So I, I started and I was a GA. I was, a, I was a joke. I was a professional GA. I, I was there. I was, I didn't think I was ever going to get a full-time job. Right. And then I got married and then we, I had to get a real job and I interviewed everywhere uh, in college uh, trying to get a job, couldn't get a job. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go coach high school ball. I said, I'm not going, I really wasn't interested in going um, I, I'm not an ego guy. I didn't have to be in college just to say I was a college coach. So I, I'm, I'm going to coach high school. I'll be perfectly fine with that. So, uh, but the thing that I, I got two really big things out of, but I mean, a bunch of things, but the relationships with the kids, because I started in college and it was a very business-like approach. You know, that's all you knew. And you knew how your college coaches were to you. And you knew how you were when you're a GA to, to relationships with kids. And it was a very businessy, you know, puzzle piece kind of thing. And then when I went to high school, it's so personal, you know, and it's all about relationships and really, yeah. and, and I learned that and that helped me. And then, so I, when I went back to college as a receivers coach at Arkansas state, I really used that to my advantage, you know, with my players and, 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 you know, Hugh freeze, who's had a great career and is at, at Liberty now, you know, his, his big saying was, is you have to capture the hearts and minds of your players. And, you know, he was big on that and it was what he started in high school as well. Right. So it's really, you know, a lot of guys that, and I'm, you're the same way. Cause I've, I've, I've know I've talked to a bunch of your kids and, and motivating them. That was a big thing for me learning in high school. And, you know, and the same stuff you were just talking about, you know, we're prepping and things like that. And then the second thing I got, and I'm, I'm interested with you on this, but I got, I told this story last week with uh, Matt uh, Wells, but, but I was able to see, all these college coaches, because I was very fortunate I had I had all these uh, national recruits on my team. And so I was able to make you a good coach, by the way. Um, so so but I saw the who's who of recruiters come in and out of my school. And I was able to see kind of how they approach the kids, what their kind of selling strategy was and their and their mode and what worked with the kids, because I would ask the kids, what do you think about that guy? And right. he's a jackass. I'm not talking to that guy anymore. And I'm like, OK you know, write notes. And so I, I, I kind of got this deal and the best, the funniest thing about it wasn't funny is we had like everybody come through there. Right. I mean, everybody. And the two that the kids liked the most out of all the schools, I'm talking about every school in America came through because we were in mobile too. Right. And so the senior bowl was there. So that week of the senior bowl, man, it was like, it was insane. I mean, there wasn't anything for us to have seven or eight head football coaches at our school at the same time. Okay. Um, and we had like these rooms set up. It was pretty cool. But, um, anyway, the two that stuck out the most of the kids that they really liked the most was Dan Hawkins when he was the head coach at Colorado mm -hmm. and Dick Cunning when he was the defensive coordinator at Clemson. Those are the two that our kids responded to the best out of all the guys that came through there. That's who they liked the most. 
and I saw their approach and it was, uh, and I really, I mean, I, I didn't come up with it. I kind of stole it, you know, and, and that's kind of how I, when I got back to college and, and started getting and recruiting, that's what I did. I just basically took their, you know, stole their mojo and, and went out and kind of took their approach with kids and it worked. Man. So they were just, it wasn't because, you know, you've been in and you've seen a thousand of them. They come in there with this used car salesman approach. Like, Hey man, how are you doing? You're the greatest kid ever. And everybody does that. So you got to be different. Right. And, you know, I was just honest with them. I rarely talk to them about football. We talk about life. And then all of a sudden that the kids remember you because, Hey, he wasn't really trying to sell me on there. I, you know, in, and he was real honest with me. And you know, he was straight up. And he was in they they would say, You're a real one. You know, you're you 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 can, you know, and so you develop those relationships with the kids and you end up getting them at the end of the day. I mean, you know, I say this and I don't mean it in a derogatory way, uh, but kids are like dogs. They can smell everything. Disingenuous, right? They can. Um I mean, just watching the guys that came through, the Bobby Kennedys, you know, I was in Texas, so Bobby Kennedy came through from Texas all the time. Those guys were just genuine guys, right? Genuinely good. Rich Rodriguez was a genuinely great guy. The kids loved him when he came through, you know? Uh, Hugh Freeze, another guy that came came through. I mean, genuine guys that, uh, you know, those guys got relationships with people. And, you know, uh, very much like you, I mean, I always felt like players coming to your school, if you had to talk someone into coming to your place, I saw a lot of those, they don't work out, right? I mean, they got it's got to be they they have to want to come there, right? So I think it's got to be a byproduct of the relationship that you have with them, right? The relationship and and them coming is a byproduct of the relationships that they have with the coaches, as well as you know the field for the school. So uh, I mean, that's one of the things I've always heard about you is just your relationships and just uh, the things that you've done, not not just with high school guys, but but with college guys all around the country. That's why you've had so many jobs at cool places. You know, you, you said something that reminded me. So I tell people all the time, like in recruiting, I tell them, I said, look, it's like a blind date, right? So if you go and ask everybody, everybody in this country, coach, did you ever have, I'm asking, I don't know. I really don't know this. I may be sticking my foot in my mouth when I, tell, when I say this, but did you ever go on a blind date with anybody over the course of your life? Oh, yeah. Did yeah. it work out? Never. Never works out, right? So I said, that's how I was talking about. I said, if I have to talk to you, I said, when you, when you, when somebody sets you up on a blind date, they are some, one of your friends or somebody is trying to talk you into dating somebody and you're not invested in it. Okay. And so you go and very rarely, now sometimes they do. Okay. It's not a hundred percent, but very rarely does it work out. Right. And so I would tell recruits, if I have to talk you in, I don't want to have to talk you in. I can, I'm pretty good at it, but I'm not going, I don't want to have to talk you into coming somewhere, wherever I was at. Right. And so I want to develop a relationship where the person was invested. And when they want to come and they're, and they're invested in it, that's when good things happen. When, and when I say good things happen, I never, I told people all the time, don't judge me on signing day. Holler at me five years down the road, how they turned out to be a good player. Absolutely. Cause I can tell you, I, I got grilled. I mean, they grilled my eyes out here at Ole Miss about, you know, well, y'all didn't sign this guy and y'all didn't do this. And y'all signed this guy. He was a three-star. Well, they're not complaining now when they went to the sugar bowl, nobody's right. complaining. That's right. You know, nobody's saying, well, I can't. I mean, people were giving us grief about taking Nick Broker. Okay. Guy's going to be an NFL player. No, but, but they were complaining. He's been a three year starter, started as a freshman at left tackle in the SEC. But he was a three star when we took his commitment. Now, he didn't, he didn't have any other offers. Right. But then later on, Ohio State tried to come in late. Then all of a sudden, since Ohio State offered him, now y'all can take him. He's, he's a good player. That's right. You know, so, but 
you know, when but when kids are invested and they want to be in be there, they develop and they turn into good players because they care about being there and they're invested in it. Okay, it's like a in stock market. Okay, do you know what the Walmart stock did yesterday? I don't. I know it was around 140 something a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what it's at. Yeah, but you know what? Because you don't have a million dollars invested in it. If you had a million dollars in the Walmart stock market, you know what you would do? You'd be watching it every day. That's right. You know, it's the same thing. If you're invested in something, you're going to care about it and you're going to develop. And, and that's life. That's everything. It's relationships. It's anything. You know, if you're if you're invested in it, you're going to do that. So, you know, Tyler, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I think we'd be remiss if I don't interject here that, you know, taking a guy like Broker is is a byproduct of having a head ball coach that trusts the fact that, man, we can't live in a perception world when you're talking about evaluating players. That, yeah. Like we live in these seasons, right? We we've got a win in the fall, and then we've got a win in recruiting. That's another yeah, season. Right? Time, yeah. that, and that's all perception driven, right? Yep. Um, but perception gets a lot of people fired, right? And it does. Uh, you know, hey, listen, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I don't care why you're losing. I'm I just sorry. Want you, I just want you to win. <laughs> I'm right? sorry. I just want you to win. So I get it. I understand where it comes from. Um, but the truth is, whenever you're 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 actually evaluating, your head coach has got to be bought into the right guys, the right type of people, right? And and for whoever you were working with at that time, whether it was Hugh or whatever, I mean, I credit that guy for trusting his staff and trusting people like you to know that we're bringing the right guys. And look, we may lose recruiting signing day, but we'll win in the fall when it really matters and really counts because we got the right guys here. Yeah, I was really, I will say this, and I, I I don't think I've said this publicly, but I'll go ahead and say it. I really don't care at this point in time. But, you know, I have told, <laughs> I have told you know, people that are close to me, I know is how good our staff was this last time. I mean, we didn't, we wasn't here long enough, but how the, the chemistry and the trust in the staff. And, like, we'll talk about Nick Broker. The first, and, and this is what was different about our staff that of any staff I really worked on. You know, a lot of people have their own agendas and things like that, but, like, I remember the first time I watched Nick Broker, I didn't like Nick Broker. The first time I watched him. And like Big Nail's offensive line coach, and, and he really like Big Nail loved him from day one, right? And Big was like, Man, you need to watch this guy again. You know, and so we watched it. And then after I, I started seeing some things, because you're not perfect. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I, sometimes a kid gets better. And I mean, the more I watch him and things like that, I see things. And once I met the kid, so he brought him down on a on a um unofficial visit. And once I met the kid and I saw him in person, I'm like, yeah, I big, I see it, you know. And so, but the thing that was awesome about our staff is nobody like got their butt hurt because of who got credit. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody, you know, like Vic really stood on the table for for a broker early in the process. And by the end, you know, and then we're all on the same page. You know what I'm saying? Like if Vic, you want him, you got a coach him. By gosh, I'm in too. Let's go. You know, and it was all, you know, and Snoop Connor. You know, Derek Nick stood on the table for Snoop Connor and Brendan Chapman, who he he loves to talk about this one. He stood on the table for Snoop Connor, and it took us a while to come around on him because of his speed, right? And and but once it all, once the decision was made, we were all in on the same page, whether you really wanted him or you liked him or not. And that makes a special staff, man. And we were able to basically, instead of having one person say, you know, this guy's a really good player, let's go get him. It was truly a collection of efforts to where. Regardless, like if Bick didn't like the guy and we like if he didn't like Jeremy James and I love Jeremy James 
And he's like, my gosh, well, let's go get him. If you stand, if you feel that passionate about it, and, and I know I trust you, let's go get him. And we were just together. You know, does that make sense? Like it was yeah, a, it was a special staff. I, I hate that it went as short as it was. So I think we were going to do some good things, I, you know, but you know how timetables work these days. You don't have, you don't have, I, I, I tell you this, if the portal would have been around like it is now, which we'll talk about in a minute, we could have done some damage in a hurry, but it is what it is. So people don't understand how hard that is to have that kind of synergy on a staff. Yeah, it's it doesn't happen. I've been in twenty something years, and it it doesn't happen. There's so so many agendas. Let's just say you got ten coaches on a staff. It just takes one, one guy to disrupt everything. And man, it's just very difficult. It really is. So man, and that's a tribute to you guys. That's why y'all recruited so well. Go ahead. That it's just it was. I guess it's a good thing that I got to experience it before I got out. But it was it was. uh, I really. Yeah, it just sucks, man. That was one that I wish we could have kept for a couple of years. Like, I think if we'd had that staff, and we had a good staff in 2012, too. I mean, I like those guys. But just the, it was the best chemistry. You enjoyed going to work regardless of the grind. You enjoyed being around everybody. Everybody so was on the same page. Communication was unbelievable. You wait your whole um, staff, your whole life, your whole career to be on a staff like that. Yeah, and then you get, get one one class in it. So, congratulations. All right, so, you know, it's – it's uh. It's rare that we get – Hugh was on here. He's a receiver's guy. I love talking to receiver guys, okay? I played the position. I coached position uh, probably for the majority of my career. I coached quarterbacks too, but I'm a big receiver's guy. That's probably where I felt the most comfortable coaching for sure uh, that I did most. But out of, out of curiosity, what if in all of your career, who's the best wide receiver that you ever coached? Man, I've been really blessed. If I've had some Yes, really, you have. Really That's why we're asking. Holy, I tell you um, – <laughs> You know, uh, most of the listeners are going to be familiar with Mike Evans, and that's and the one I, I think. And I would have to say he is—he is—he's the best one. But he also works at it, right? Like Mike. Mike played one year of high school football. People don't realize that. Really, uh, redshirted him and Johnny both redshirted. Uh, he had not played a down, you know, until we got there. Uh, so we didn't really know what we had, right? But he works at it. He's a good man. He is a great example of how you do anything. Is how you do everything his production mimics how he does things with his life. I mean, and you see why some people are not successful. It's because there's demons that they're fighting. They can't put their focus in the right areas. Mike is a great, great example of that unbelievable player, unbelievably strong. Uh, I watched him take your corner and reach out with his left hand and put him behind him. What time? He's just such a strong guy. Uh, he did me. He, he did. You know, I got to go against coach against him twice. You know, the 2012 game where he did us dirty. But then, you know, I was at Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. we got in 2013, we had the big – y'all had beaten – I wasn't there, but y'all had beaten Alabama the year before in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. And so, it was like the second game of the year. It was like 497 degrees um, in College Station, 230 CBS. And uh, I saw – he went for like, what, 270-something in that game? 274, I think, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 274. And we, and we had – uh, we had put a corner, so Cyrus Jones was going to match up with. He was our best matchup, but Cyrus is, is short, okay? And Cyrus is a, was like the first pick in the second round, so he's a good player, right? Oh, great player. But it was a bad matchup because of size. And so we put our longer corner and bigger corner, Bradley Silva, over there, and he just – it was like we couldn't do anything about it. We, 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 I think we rotated every corner that we had at Alabama on him. And it, was, and it wasn't like cheapy. It wasn't like he was – blown coverages or anything like that. It was like hitches, breaking 16 tackles, spinning out and riding to the house. And I was like, well, I was like, what are we doing? And, and it was a shootout. I think we, we ended up winning, but it was like 
I know the over hit that day. It was uh, it was like 49, 42, maybe or something like that. Crazy game. You know, we played. John I know it was before. hot. We beat, we beat we beat Alabama at Alabama, and in that game, I went back and watched that tape all year. We had run a bunch of ten yard stops, right? We were a big stop team, and y'all's corners were sitting on what I call the low hit, so they were playing the stop. So. Literally, they were knocking down all of our stop routes with Mike. Mike didn't have a really big game at that first in that first game uh, when we played at Alabama. And I was watching that tape, and I walked into Cliff Kingsbury's office, and I was like, "Bro, they're sitting on the low hip against us. They think we're going to run stops. We need to go vertical all day long, and just just go vertical. I'm just telling you. And y'all were y'all were sitting on the low hip playing the stop routes, and that's why we were getting past you vertically. I think." Uh, and that's why he had such a big game because we, we were able to kind of work some vertical stuff. But he was a great one. I, I tell you, Tyler, I had some other ones. I'd be remiss if I didn't tie. There's a kid named Jared Dillard, my first year coaching at Rice. Uh, Jared uh, tied Larry Fitzgerald's record for 19 straight games with a touchdown. Uh, he was five foot eleven, but he he used to always say, "Coach, I'm I'm eleven foot five on game day." I mean, this dude was a freak show. I mean, unbelievable jumping ability. I think he broke the combine record for for the vertical jump. Uh, and just unbelievable hands. Uh, had one offer out of, out of San Antonio. Uh, owns almost every record there at Rice. Um, Mike and those guys, you know, Ryan Swope, another one at, at Texas A&M. Ryan, Mike Evans, they still own every record. Uh, another one that might be one of the best tool guys I ever had was a guy named Josh Reynolds. Uh, Josh played for us at Texas A&M. Yep, uh, he was a JUCO him. guy. We signed him really late out of uh, Tyler Junior College, but he was long, unbelievable flexibility. Just played in the Super Bowl a couple years ago for the Rams. Got traded this year. I think he finished with the with the Lions. Terrific player uh, here at KU. Desmond Briscoe still owns a ton of records. Kerry Meyer played quarterback for us here. Moved to tight end, much like Ryan Swope. Wound up breaking all kind of records. And then there's one other dude that sticks out to me, a guy named Darrell Walker, played for us at Texas A&M. Yep. He's actually approaching some of the records in the CFL right now. Uh, he was a good player, a man. Terrific player. Terrific player. Um, really, really good. Man, we just very blessed. Uh, Travis Labhart. We played you guys, and at halftime, uh, it, this is the game that we wind up uh, kicking the field goal to, to win. You weren't there, I don't think. I think it was the next time we came. 13. Over. Right. And yeah. um, at halftime, the guy that was playing my H, he just wasn't producing at that point, right? And I, I went in and uh, I've got all these five stars in this room of receivers. All these dudes are four and five stars, right? And there's a walk-on that we got off the – I mean, he, he was on the girls' basketball scrimmage team. The boys practice the girls' basketball team. And, man, this dude just did nothing but do the right things and make plays every day in practice. And I'll never forget walking in at halftime. I was like, Coach – I'm putting Travis in at H. And he's like, are you sure? I said, coach, we'll be fine. He catches like eight passes, two touchdowns in that game. He finishes the season. This was six games in. He finishes the season with 61 catches, nine touchdowns, and becomes the kind of the go-to guy. We got Mike Evans. We've got Darrell Walker. We've got Malcolm Kennedy. we got all these dudes. And this guy winds up being the leading receiver that year. So just a bunch of great stories. I'm sure you've had them. Now, back at you, who were your best? <sighs> I mean, I'll tell my guys, and they, 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 so they, I tell them that I don't know if I'll ever be around another one. I mean, I've been around some good ones. I don't know if I'll ever be around another one as good as Amari Cooper. He's the one, I think he's kind of the unicorn. And then look, I've been around AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. Mm. I've been around some good ones. Um, 
definitely, you know, Dante Moncrief is up there. Um, and, you know, I had, kid, y'all had that at Ole Miss. Yeah, uh, Evan Ingram was a good player. Great player. Um, you know, I could go back to my Arkansas State days with Dwayne Frampton, J.D. McKissick still playing, um, Taylor Stockman, Allen Muse, all the way to – and then, you know, was really fortunate <clears throat> when I was at South Alabama, you know, I had a, <laughs> I had a class that had some good ones. Uh, I, 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 had, I went six for six in recruiting, then I got six dudes that can play, and they, they all panned out, so that makes it fun. But, you know, Quan Baker's playing for the Saints. Uh, Jalen Tolbert will go in the draft this year. Um, he's probably – the least talked about wide receiver in the country because he's at South Alabama and he's probably the second, I would say, and I like the kid at Penn state, but just Jalen's probably a top two or three receiver in the country. Can he's going to do some things? I mean, he had two straight 1500 yard seat. I mean, he, he's the real deal. Uh, yeah. We stole him at South Alabama, got him to stay at home. He got recruited, you know, Michigan state Vanderbilt. He was recruited out of high school, uh, but wanted to stay at home and is a freak show. Uh, and really developed, you know. I mean, he was talented and developed. So he he's uh, he's gonna play in the Senior Bowl. His stock will go through the roof. He'll probably be he's uh, he'll be probably a second, third round guy, I imagine. But he's gonna be a really good pro. Uh, but yeah, Amari Cooper for me. I mean, um, having to play against him was a nightmare. Just as a receiver coach, watching him do the thing, it just was it was easy. He was a man. He was much like Johnny at the quarterback position. He was a man among boys at that position in receivers. He was just so fun to watch. The thing that made him different than everybody is, one, he was talented, obviously, right? But the his work ethic and competitive character, like, was he was elite in everything. It wasn't like you get some guys that are uber talented that don't work hard or it's not, you know, they don't do the extra, you know. Um, you got some guys that are – that work hard, aren't as talented. Not, I mean, there's a there's a three level deal here. You know, are right. you talented? Do you work hard? And are you a competitive dude? You know, right. and he was just elite of the elite in every category. I mean, he was he came to the work. You know, I told the story on this podcast before. I mean, he comes to the office at seven thirty in the morning every morning. He did not have a car, so he drove. He rode on the bus like the school tram. He I saw him going in the building the same time I went in the building. Okay, and I'm working there. And he would go in and work on his craft for two hours, you know, whether it's cone drills, jugs, whatever, work out. He would eat breakfast, go to class till noon, come back, get dressed for practice, and go in the room and watch film by himself until it's time for the position meeting. He'd go position meeting, practice. I mean, he was a pro before it was a pro. And go to position meeting, practice. And then we'd have to kick him off the field at the end of the practice. I mean, this guy's like – you remember when, like, Catapult came out and they started tra- doing all the geo-tracking and things like that? Oh, yeah. We had receivers in practice running, you know, eight miles in a practice. I mean, it was insane. He was running like 14 feet. He was almost doubling up every receiver every day because he would catch the hitch and sprint and, and routes on air and sprint to the end of the field. I mean, he was – he had to – you know, Billy Napier was coaching him too. You know, Billy was like – had to like take the guy and like, hey, listen, okay, you know, let's let's calm down. Just, you know, yeah. let's just keep you fresh for the whole year and to keep him from wearing down. But – yeah, I mean, he's – I know his his pro career has been up and down, but, like, dude, when he – when he when they want to, he can get – he can get with it and be the best of all of them. You're a Cowboys fan, so you get to see it. But he's – to yeah. me, he's kind of the – have there been guys that are having better pro careers? Sure. But from a college receiver, whew, he's pretty Man, good. That's such such a good, good deal to hear about guys. You just – you want it for them, right? But as you and I know throughout our career, you can't make a kid be that. He is. He either is or he isn't. That, right. I mean, guys can improve that work ethic a little bit, and but when they do it on their own, 
that that's not a learned trait for most kids. They they either are that or they're not. And I say it all the time. The one thing that scares me is somebody that's willing to do more than me. And to hear that story about Amari Cooper, that should be scary for you. If you're a receiver or you're a DB, <laughs> he's willing to do more than you. Therefore, you know, like I said, how you do anything, it's how you do everything. So when he's so focused on that, boy, that, that makes for a dangerous combination and a good player. He, he was a Miami kid and he never went home. So he stayed in Tuscaloosa the whole time and didn't have a car and lived in a dorm the entire time that he played at Alabama. That is like he never moved out. He was he was he's wired different. So all right, we'll go switch gears here, coach. Sure. Your favorite band you listen to? Who who's your jam? Who you listen to? Oh man, you know, it's not even close. I mean, uh, I am a huge, and you're probably gonna call me a geek after this, but I'm a huge Florida Georgia Line fan. So okay. Uh, I'm okay I saw him in uh, saw him in Nashville about eight, nine years ago. Uh, we were going to a Luke Bryan concert, and that's when I first saw them. They're just they're such great entertainers, and you know every song, whether you think you do or not. They uh, their songs are very popular. They're great entertainers, and then I guess probably the newest one is Morgan Wallen. I think this guy's a he's a really good artist, <laughs> uh, very interesting personality uh, away from the stage. But uh, yeah. man, he's a very good artist, very talented guy. So who's yours? Come on, give it to me. Uh, all time Dave Matthews band. I mean, if I'm listening to one song for the rest of my life, one band the rest of my life, I, I can jam to Dave Matthews all day long. Um, country music, I'm a big country music fan, but probably, and he's semi-recent, but uh, Chris Stapleton, I can listen to. I know every song that he's ever sang. Like, I, I think he's phenomenal. Um, but I like the 90s country, old school country guy. Um, but Chris Stapleton kind of brings me back home a little bit with that. So I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan, um, country music wise. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all over the place. I listen to rap. I listen to everything. I don't listen to the new, the new rap. Okay. I don't do all that stuff. (laughs) All right. I don't, I don't deal with the new rap, but if you throw me some Tupac or some Biggie or, you know, any, you know, some Snoop, I I can, I can get with that. I don't, I don't do the new rap stuff. My, my kids do, and I don't understand it. So I tell them it's not, I mean, like it doesn't make any sense. So but I like the uh, we're I like old school rap. Yeah, I'm getting old. It's my whatever. I mean, I I, I told my but you know when I I like uh now my six year old he'll jam he'll he'll jam this with Snoop with me now he 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 actually he's six years old and uh, I get in trouble sometimes with the wife when I turn on uh, I may turn on gin and juice or something on, on the <laughs> in the car when we're driving and she gets mad at me and makes me uh, it makes me turn it off. But my wife see my wife acts all innocent right. She's like you know I'm a mom now I'm a wife and all that stuff. But I, I can throw that on there and and she'll start jamming. And she knows and she, you know, back when she reverts back to when we were like 2021 and my kids go, who is this person? I said, I've been trying to tell y'all, y'all think I'm the crazy one because I haven't changed much since that age. But she, you know, she's she's more sophisticated and, and, and bougie now. And so but when she reverts back, oh, the yeah. kids don't recognize her. It kind of freaks them out a little bit. So <laughs> that's but anyway, I, I won't get in trouble for that, too, by the way, Dave, just so you know. <laughs> All right. Speaking oh, of speaking of wives, what was the last honeydew your wife made you do? Oh man, you know I've had uh, I've had some time, uh, so I've had quite the list, daughter. Um, I would say um, stuff that I'm not qualified to do in any way. Like the the freestanding ice maker broke the other day, and uh, yeah, I mean, let's just say that you know I wound up actually having to call somebody after I screwed it up and spent a bunch of money. So. Uh, that's how that usually plays out. And then she, now she wants me to paint the doors on the inside of the front door. And these are custom doors that are, I'm like, babe, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that. And she's like, well, you, 
you know, you got time. You can look at it. So I'm sure I'm going to mess that up. I'm going to somebody to come fix it. And yeah, YouTube, YouTube it, man. YouTube YouTube t- teaches you all kinds of things. I'm YouTube and I've done anything. And, oh, of course, my wife's no going to pick on me. I'm terrible. I'm like the worst. I'm not a handyman, okay? Oh. So I, I'm, I know my limits. I know what I don't know. And so if it gets in, a, if it gets too much, I'll just call somebody because I'm, I'm not, I have no, I have no, no help on that. Oh yeah. You know, our house is about, I don't know, five, six years old now. So it's starting to have those things. So that list is quite long right now. There's, there's and most of it involves some kind of paint type stuff. And I'm not very good at that. Uh, yeah. I'm with you. What about you? What's your, what's your latest? What mama made you do? Oh, I don't even know. So what happened? So it's usually, so my, my wife is a school nurse here in Oxford. And so usually my honeydews require, it's more with helping the kids get, get shut down and into the bed. Like she, she'll come home wore out and pissed off a little bit dealing with all this COVID stuff. So I get thrown, I got in trouble last night because I said, I'll, you know, it's one of those things where she says, can you do something? And I'll be like, yeah, I'll do it in just a second. That's the wrong answer in my house. So as soon as I say, I'll do it in just a second. It's like, fine, I'll do it. I said, I'll do it. Just give me a second, you know, give me a second. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, that's usually, I usually get in trouble. Like, so I, I'm trying not, I'm trying to get better. You know, I'm trying to work on it. Cause I was terrible for all these years. And now that you're home and you're, and you're trying to like get back into, you know, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to get used to it. And, uh, but yeah, it's been good though, man. I, I really enjoy it. So uh, even though she doesn't think I do sometimes. <laughs> All right, moving on. We got because we got to get so the fans know I'm trying. We're gonna get through this, but we got something we're gonna get to here in a minute that I've been geeked out over for a long time. So, but I want to get your thoughts as a head coach. And we asked uh, Matt last week, what are your thoughts on the transfer portal, where it's at, and where it's going, all that stuff. What do you, what do you see? What's what's your general idea and thoughts on it? Well, I tell you what, you know, it, it is. Uh, it's obviously something that's very very new, and it's evolving daily. Uh, uh, we're starting to kind of get a little bit better understanding of what it's lo- like, but I would describe it like this. I, I think it's a chaotic roulette wheel. And, and the reason I say that is because, man, it looks, it looks like your odds are good, but the truth of the matter is for every one situation where we see of a kid that transfer and it works out and he becomes the Kyler Murray that moves from A&M to, to Oklahoma or, or, you know, any of these guys that are transferring, there's, there's probably, I would say 50 other kids that jumped in that portal and gave up a scholarship that paid them, paid everything because division one's just one kind of scholarship. It's full scholarship. And now they get cost of attendance. They got paid money and now there's all kind of other things on top of it. But when you jump in that portal, they do not have to take you back. Right. And right. you've given that up. So for every one kid that we see that's transferred, that it's worked out, there are 50 that have given up that scholarship. And listen, there's not enough to go around and they may not have anywhere to go. Anywhere. That's my no big way. thing. We talked about with Matt, you know, every, even the portal, you know, before the immediate tra- immediate eligibility rule came through, you know, there were over two thirds of the kids were not going anywhere. And, you know, as well as I do, a majority of those kids can't afford to go to college. Okay, football is the only way they're going. And you're talking about changing. And I guess where I get upset about it and the whole deal is, you know, from a fan's perspective, you're like, yeah, we can go get us a good – it's free agency. We can go get us a good player. But coaches, we're not fans, okay? We're not fans. We're more invested in the individual, okay? Or most of – I may say that. Most of us are. Not all of us, but most of us are. And and you're affecting a kid. You're allowing a – and they're still kids. We can call it what they want to. They're still kids, okay? And they're making emotional decisions for whatever reason, 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes people at home are getting in their ear or whatever it is, but they're making emotional decisions that's going to impact their life forever. Okay. Because they're not going to be able to go to college. And so instead of going out and being a good citizen, they're going to go home and get in trouble or whatever it is. And it's infecting lives. And a lot of times they're the first person. And, and I want fans to know this more times than not, these kids are first generation college students. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you're not talking about changing the kid's life, about changing generations life, their kids, kids life. Mm-hmm. And so it's, just to see the negative, you know, I do get the positive. I really do. I, I'm not saying that there's not good things that happen out of it. But sometimes when we make decisions, especially from an NCAA perspective, when we're making these decisions, we can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. And we don't and, – and, and we're rations of families because the kid can't afford to go to college. And it, it's just – it's a sad deal um, on that aspect, and they got to do something – um, and I, I've I mean, told it's the, law of un, it's the law of unintended consequences. Like, correct. It sounds like a great deal to the fans. Like it's the transfer portal. We've got a Dr. Pepper commercial right now that glorifies it. Yeah. The truth is it's destroying lives. Yeah. Like for every one guy that it's working out for, there are 50 that have given their scholarship away. And now they have to, they have nowhere to go. I'm not talking about division one, I'm talking about a guy maybe at a Division One Power Five school. He doesn't have a Division Two, a Division One AA, a Division Three, an NAI. He has nothing, right. and and it was because he thought that I should just jump in here and it'll work out for me. Well, no, that's not how it works. I mean, you better have something already pretty much done. Or you could be left holding the back. L- listen, I checked the portal yesterday. I want to say there were over 600 kids still in it. Well, yesterday, I think, was about the last day for most people to start classes. So what kids don't, what, what kids and people and players and, and parents and fans don't understand is once that class starts, now the guys that are still in that portal, not only do they have to pay for school somewhere to try to get 12 hours to keep their eligibility because if they don't keep their uh, minimum number of hours they got to get, they're not eligible. Even if they can get something in the fall, they're ineligible. Yep. Because now they do they even have the money to go pay for 12 hours? Even at a community college, we're talking about a few thousand dollars. Like you said, these are first generation guys. And most of these guys come to us with not a penny in their pocket. So that that cost of attendance money is important because they, they do not have a penny in their pocket until they get there. And so when they're left with nothing, they don't realize what's going to happen to them. So I think it's the law of unintended consequences that, and I get it. I I think it was more of a political decision than anything, because I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for us, but I do get it that there are, there are some good things, like you said, that have happened as a result of it. But if we really did a study for every one kid that it's been positive, I bet you we would have 50 or more that it's been horrific. For them. Yeah. And, they and hopefully no they will, you know, you know, we get through that. I mean, I've said this a hundred times. I got plenty of time on my hand now too, you know, so I really don't, but I'll be glad. I would love for, since we're making all these changes in the NCAA, all right, there's plenty of coaches out there now, like let's get me, you, let's get Matt, let's get, let's get Kevin Steele. Let's get some guys that know what they're talking about and let's go and let's put a committee together of people that actually know what they're doing, you know, that, that have been there. But when these rules and these things, I mean, again, these people have never coached or played a down of football or, or any sport in their life. And they're making like 
legislation and they don't, and it sounds cool, but they don't even, and it's not their fault. Don't know. And they make, they make decisions and they don't, they don't have the understanding of what that decision, the consequences is going to be. You know, one thing I learned from coach Saban when I went there is he, you know, he, he said, look, when you say the word consequence, you automatically think negative, right? He says, but what you don't understand is every positive decision, so it's not just a negative decision that you make has a consequence. Every decision period that you make has a consequence. Some are good and some are bad, but the definition of a consequence is a result of an action. And so, right. you know, he, he hammered it in and it's the same thing. They're trying to do right. I'm not saying that they're not trying to do right, but you do have to see the consequences when you make a decision, you know, okay, if I do this, then this is going to happen. If that happens, this, you know, you have to see down the road to really determine, you know, okay, this is a good thing, but we need to put, you know, A, B, C, D, E in order to keep this from happening That's and right. and then and be proactive on the front end instead of being reactive. Right. You know, and so that's always been my deal. You know, you know, God gave us free will. He did. To make decisions. And those decisions, they they have they're going to have an effect, positive or negative, what we call consequences. And, you know, I tell kids all the time, you know, God gave us free will, which basically meant, hey, just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's right. And the, the portal is this new age thing that makes kids, because now they can, man, it's not like that for everybody. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You got to really think about what could happen if you make that decision. And a lot of people, like you said, that's emotional. They're not, they're not putting a lot of thought into it and they just jump in there. And hopefully you're getting a lot of phone calls from buddies with sons. I've got a lot of phone calls from buddies with sons that I'm, I'm able to go, Hey, slam on the brakes real quick. Listen, let me, let me tell you what happens when you do this. And um, yeah. that's the best thing to do is to research it. But anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, oh, you're but good. I just have strong feelings about it. And uh, there's a lot of great things about it, like you said, but I do think there's a lot to be said for guys that, that, uh, uh, that stay with it and stay at a place and, Man, it's, you know, the transfer portal is so difficult on coaches nowadays because, I mean, it's almost, man, I, I want to be careful here, but it's almost like, you know, most of the colleges have become glorified junior colleges now because, you know, uh, you know, let's just say Baylor Zappi or the Zappi kid, you know, from Western. Oh, Virginia. that's my let's guy. Just, let's just say that, that he wasn't, he was not a senior, was not eligible, right? Yeah. So your guy plays too good. You could lose it. But that's your goal is to help make him a good player, right? Um, yeah, that's the that catch twenty two. I got you know I got a bunch of you know a bunch of buddies got a bunch of group of five jobs this year. You know, Rich Rod gets Jacksonville State job. They're moving to Conference USA. You got Mike McIntyre went to FIU. John Summerall's at Troy, and then Kane Womack. I've been real good friends forever. He's at South Alabama. Hey, we go recruit these guys. And here's the crazy part: is they're able because of the portal, they're able to recruit a little bit better at a higher level because these kids are left out there. And so they're getting like better players than they've been used to getting. He goes, what happens when they go? And he goes, it's a catch 22. I get this great player. He comes in here and tears it up and I lose him to Alabama or whoever for NIL money. I can't, it's, it's, they're pissed off about it. And he goes, and then you go and you get, you go and you get portal guys. Well, you're, you're getting third choice on portal guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're, you're skipping. You're not in the top level tier of portal guys. When you, you know, you're a group of five level, you're getting good, you know, players. Now, they can't go anywhere, but you're not getting the top tier player. So he's like, you can get a better player if you recruit high school, but you're in danger of losing them. It's just, it's a, it's a mess, man. All right, coach. So I called you yesterday. We were talking yesterday. Okay. And 
you gave me some information yesterday. We were just talking about, you know, things we'll to have you on, da, 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 da. And I have, I lost sleep last night. I saved this for the end of the podcast, okay? I lost sleep last night. But told me um, a story. I And I actually, I think one person, this is crazy to me, okay? One person that I know of has written about this in your entire career. Like, this is the most fascinating thing I think I've talked about on this podcast since. And we liked, I was messing with you, and I said, hey, I said, I like, I'm crazy. I like to talk about ghosts and aliens and conspiracy theories. And then you let me know your connection to, I wouldn't even say arguably, I one conspiracy theory in the history of the United States of America. Okay. I'm talking, so we're fixing to have, this may be a 17 hour podcast because I have never prepared more for an interview. Like I prepared after you told me this last night. So your dad, Okay, so uh, let's talk about your dad and, and kind of uh, Buford Lee Beatty. And let's talk a little bit about, tell, tell the home visit fans who your dad was and what his connection is to the largest conspiracy theory in the history of the United States of America. Go ahead. <laughs> right. So uh, like how I teed that up for you. Yeah, it's nice. I've got a twin brother and uh, my dad, my mom had us late in life. She was 42. My dad was uh, 44. Um, okay. We were we were complete accidents, and we were twins, and we had we had uh, synchronized heartbeats. There were no ultrasounds, so we didn't. My mom mom didn't even know she was having twins. Neither did my dad. My dad Surprised. was at work. My mom went into labor, um, and he wasn't even there. My dad was a Dallas police officer. Okay, so he wasn't there. Um, long story short, we had two kiddos. My mom had two kiddos, me and my twin brother. And uh, she was so tired. My dad wasn't there to help. So we didn't even get middle names. So I don't have a middle name and my brother does it. She just took the name and, and split it in half and, and gave me David and gave him Lou because she was just beat. When she didn't realize she was having twins and Lou came an hour later. But it was really because my dad wasn't there. She always talks about that, that we didn't have middle names because my dad wasn't there because he was a police officer, a Dallas police officer. But what you're talking about is my dad probably... Um, uh, the most famous thing about my dad is he is in all of the pictures. He is actually in the, the basement of the Dallas police department. And he's in the picture where Jack Ruby is shooting uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. And he's one of the police officers that actually, you know, caught him when they put him on the gurney there. Uh, I think you've read the Warren. Report. I watched it. I watched the video last night. I saw him. He helped put him on the gurney. That's right. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's in the Ward report, but there was a, you know, my, my mama always told us just a couple of things, but, um, and we'll talk about this more, but yes, he was, he was there, he was present, um, and uh, he was friends with Jack Ruby, all of them were, uh, Jack Ruby owned what they called joints back then, which were kind of gentlemen's clubs and things like that, but all the, the joints, officers, they were joints, they were uh, joints. I think he called them juke joints or something like that, I yeah. can't remember exactly, but uh Anyway, long story short, they were all buddies with him. And my mom says all the time that, uh, you know, she's like, how did Jack get down there? And she, he, he, he always said, look, nope, nobody would have thought anything about that. Jack was always down there. He was, I mean, he, he wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. Jack was part of our people. He was just part of us, right? And so that's how he gained access down there. I mean, he literally said hello to people on the way down uh, before he shot him. So pretty interesting deal. Pretty interesting deal, uh, point in time there. He actually knew Tibbetts that got shot and killed. Uh, I think that might have been in the warning report. He knew him. 
but really interesting stuff. But my mother just passed away. She just died. She was 94 years old. And um, literally up until about a month before she died, she reinforced this. But she said this from the time we were little kids all the way until the very end. Baby, if anybody ever asked you, there was only one shooter. That's all we were ever told. And that's all we were ever supposed to say. And you know more about this really than I do. We, we just were trained not to really think or talk about it very much, which was pretty interesting. So, so I don't know. I don't think I have on the podcast. We talk about, you know, we get on here, we'd like to have a good time, but me personally. Okay. This is like, so when I was a kid, okay. And I, I can't remember if I was in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I did a whole like, that's fair and all that stuff. Like I, I built a, a, uh, model of daily, of daily plaza. Okay. And I researched this assassination and like, I've been fascinated with this thing since I would say, and I was trying to think back, I, I think it was like the 25, you know, like 1988. Right. So like there was something on TV and I'm sitting there, I'm 11 years old and you know, I was real fascinated. And the movie comes out, uh, by Oliver Stone in 91. And that just kind of reemphasized it with me. So I'm, I'm sitting there at the time I'm 14, 15 years old, whatever it was. And then I've just been fascinated year, you know, around November 22nd, every single year, there's a show on or whatever. And then last year, um, Oliver Stone came back and, you know, they've been releasing information, you know, about the, uh, about the, uh, all the files of this. And there, there's been these committees, the assassination committees have been put together over the years to kind of go back and, you know, try to find the truth. And they're, you know, they're originally supposed to release all the documents by 2029, right? So then they come back and then they were release documents and be, you know, some of the information we blacked out with permanent marker or whatever. But as information gets released and they, they, the National Archives, you just got to go in there and, and it's a ton of information that not one person can go in there and just find out overnight. And there's so many things. Um, but as you find out this move, this show that's on, it's, I got it on Amazon. I think it's on Showtime. I don't know, but there was a one called JFK revisited mm -hmm. and it's a two hour movie. Um, and if you are a conspiracy theory guy and you like the JFK stuff, this was like, I mean, there's so much stuff that there's no way I've, as I've gotten older, you know, come on, man. I mean, we all know that something happened. Why won't they tell us? I mean, I think because, and why aren't they releasing information? They're either one of two things. They're waiting for people to die that was involved. So they're not, uh, they're not in, you know, involved in the deal or two, it's some kind of government involved deal to where they don't want the American people to lose faith in the government, even though it happened, you know, 60 years ago, almost 60 years ago now. Um, it's one of the two things. I mean, you can't convince me. I mean, that's just common sense. But this uh, this JFK revisited will get you will get you cranked up. And when you told me that yesterday, your dad one was there. You see him; he's in every picture that's ever taken, and arguably the most famous photograph ever taken in this country. Possibly, yes. It's in it's in the Smithsonian. We went, we've actually traveled there as a family to go see that picture. Yeah, and then and the interesting thing I, I was going to ask you this because this part I don't. There's so many things that you still don't know. But did did the bullet go through Lee Harvey? To stay in him. Because your dad if was it, like literally right behind the gun. Like if, if it would have through, it would have hit my dad. It, he was he was absolutely he was in line. He was in the line, which I, I don't think it went through. Uh, uh, Mom never really talked about that. She did talk at one point about when my, my dad passed away when we were five years old. So uh, that was about seventy five or so. Uh, he 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 passed away of cirrhosis of the liver. And by the way, I told you this yesterday. 
there was quite a few folks that passed away of strange things fairly quickly after that assassination that were friends connected to my father, connected to our family in some way, shape or form. I think that's why we were always told that uh, maybe there was only one shooter. That was it. Uh, There was a gentleman, uh, a group of gentlemen that came and saw my mother after my dad passed away. And she didn't tell me this until a number of years later um, that she had a visit. Cause I said, Hey man, is there, is there anything that, cause she never talked about any of that. She's like, yeah, the, the, there was a group that came and visited me after your dad passed away, but that's all she would say. I mean, I'm convinced. So she never that, told you what the, what they came about. Uh, that's all she would say. I mean, she, no matter how much I tried to prod her or push her, she would just say, all you need to know is there was just one shooter. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, and look, I know, uh, going to be there's going to be some people that probably turn off the podcast right now we're probably gonna have a bunch of them just like they're geeked out like i'm about this all right so like if you look at the uh at the you know the i guess the latest you know what, what they came up with and everything is you see like you know we all know about the magic bullet okay that 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 went through the magic bullet two shots hit the president you know and deadly is a great word that we learn here. If you if you're a football coach and recruiting, allegedly is a great word. Okay, so allegedly, um, I'm not really worried about getting sued, like people in like black ties and stuff showing up and, and coming to get me. All right, so but allegedly, if you if you the two shots were that close, shot that you can because it's been well documented that basically deemed impossible. But the first shot missed by didn't even miss the car. It missed by like missed the street. So there, because they, you know, there's documentation that they're, and so they're saying like this that he was able to hit two on target and a moving target. But the, but that one shot he missed, he didn't just miss the car, he missed the street. I mean, he, he shot like he was 70 yards off where he was aiming. Um, but obviously, when the, uh, you know, the Zapruder, you go back and watch, because I did, I did my homework last night, you know, you go back and like think about like the Zapruder film wasn't released like 12 years later to the, and then the the conspiracy theories with the autopsy photos, who did the autopsy, and then the the one that I didn't realize until I had watched the movie that how there were other people very similar to Lee Harvey Oswald that the government had placed allegedly in Chicago in like was going and doing these parade routes had in in working in buildings. I think Chicago was one, and there was another city that they were placing to whatever they decided to do it, and so. And there's so many thoughts and things about whether it was the CIA, the FBI, you know, President Johnson was involved or whoever. But it is a very I encourage everybody to go watch JFK Revisited. Um, But I know just I mean, how about like when you studied it? Okay, so you're in high school or you're in college and you studied that. Know your connection to that? Most people did. Yeah, most people did. I mean, it 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 came up in conversation quite a bit. Um, with our friends and then it kind of flew around but um, you know I just always thought just the trajectory the way that that film portrays where he is hit and where uh, you know it it just doesn't something's something's up (laughs) to me and I'm like you I don't need anybody coming to my house or talking to me about anything they're gonna come to your house before they're gonna come to my house they'll come to mine in a second uh, and they're gonna get one answer. My mom trained me. <laughs> yeah, they get one answer. I'm with you on that. The, uh, and you said you said one word. I I didn't study it. We didn't. She just didn't allow it. We just that? didn't. 
we didn't study this. Like we didn't, oh. study, like when I tell you that you know more about it than I do, I'm not kidding because it was in our household. There was, we didn't, we didn't talk about it like that. It was only that my dad's in this picture with my friends and you know, that was all pretty cool. And that was about where it stopped. <laughs> pretty interesting. We just never asked any questions. I mean, literally like I, if, if the good Lord came down and said, Hey, you can get to ask one question. If the good Lord, when I go to the, when I go to the pearly gates, <laughs> he says, I can ask one question. And if I want to know one thing, that that's probably the question I'm going to ask. If he gives me that choice, if he says, Hey, you can ask one question. I would want to know. I don't know why. I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I, I joke. We, we have, I'm here about aliens and messing with ghosts and all that stuff. But to me, the most, you know, from literally since I was a little kid, you know, that's just something that's oh, yeah. through, through time. That's something that's just, it's just interested me so much. And I'm a history guy, um, which a lot of people don't know, but I'm a big history buff. And so that's just something that, uh, that stuck with me. My wife, it drives her crazy. Cause I, I'm the, I'm the guy that's like late at night when there's nothing on TV, I'll, 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 I'll look for a documentary on, 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 uh, <laughs> on Amazon. So she does. I, I will give you one nugget. My mother did tell me this one time that, uh, uh, she said that because uh, I asked, I said, look, did, did he say anything about what was said? You know, when they were, uh, you know, what happened? I was trying to get her to explain to me what happened with him. Like, was he actually involved in in touching him, putting him on the gurney and all that stuff? She said that uh, he 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 did tell her that one of the officers was saying, did you kill the president? And he heard Lee Harvey Oswald say, like, this guy's shot. Right. And it's in his stomach and all that stuff. And he's in pain and she, he heard him say, go to hell. That was it. That's the last thing that they heard him say. So, which, I mean, that's not a whole lot, but pretty interesting that they were asking that. And he, he's shot in the stomach. He's writhing, writhing in pain. And that's, that's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, and you know, the, the thing is that you just want to, you know, at this point in time, I mean, what we were, we're what, 59 years out from this happening. Uh -huh. Um, this this year will be 59 years, 58 and change right now. But I don't understand the – I mean, it's 58 years ago, man. I mean, the, the secrecy of the documents and withholding the stuff, like, there's a reason, okay? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just – what is it? I got home last night, and I was so geeked up. I told a friend of mine, um, I know he's a history guy, he was fired up, and I told my wife, my kids. And uh, so my son, my 14 year old, had watched it with me, JFK revisited. And I, you know, went to the whole history lesson with him and all that stuff, but just, you know, the, the way that the, your mind changed, like one little piece of it, the most interesting thing is how one little piece of information can change your whole perception on what you think happened. Right. You know, um, I'll tell you, reading my dad's interview in the Warren Report, that was that was pretty polarizing for me. It almost it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It actually became real when I actually saw that that interview on the Warren. How old were you when you read that for the first time? Man, I, I bet I was in my twenties. I mean, like I told you, we we really it was it was never discussed around our family. We did not talk about it. It was and and. Because of that, we never even thought to ask about it, to be quite honest with you. We just didn't. And if it ever got started, my mom was very good about shutting it down for some reason. But uh, we didn't, reading the Roaring Report, just how detailed it was. And I mean, we're talking about 58, 59 years ago, like you said, how they conducted the interviews and things that uh, I don't know if you read my dad's report or at all. I mean, oh, I, I, read, I don't like, look, people that know me, David, I don't like to read. 
Okay. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I watch a movie. I watch TV. I'll, I'll listen to a storybook. I don't like to read. I read every word of that thing yesterday. It took me like 45 minutes. It was a long report. It, it is crazy. Man. And I mean, he was probably a very small part of that, you know, but can you imagine what those other documents are showing of people that actually were in the know? So pretty interesting. Have you ever read, have you ever read the transcript of his interview with the FBI before in December? I don't think Your I've dad's? read that. Is that somewhere out there? I need to go check. I that don't out. know. I, I read and 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 to catch people up, I'll, I'll probably need to get we when we when we post this, I may get. I'll send the link to uh, Raquel. Maybe she can post it on Twitter. The link to the your dad's uh, Warren Commission. It's very interesting, by the way. Right. But the uh, in the Warren Commission interview, they keep talking about they catch them on timelines and things like that. And then he had done a, I believe the interview that your dad did with the Warren Commission was in like it was March. I, I got. a pretty good memory sometimes march 26th of 1964 okay and your dad about a timeline and things like that and, and they mentioned the two fbi agents but he did an interview the fbi interviewed him in december so relatively quickly after the the assassination right and so a couple months had passed and they were asking him and almost i got the feel maybe did you get the feel that like the warren commission was almost trying to trip him up on some things to try to confuse him on his timeline did you get that vibe out of that Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that one, that one, that's where my, my ears started perking because you can tell by the line of questioning that they're asking your dad that they're trying to they're trying to trip him up and basically discredit his testimony, you know, his testimony right. to the one the FBI in December. Right. So you know, I when, was, when, uh, the thing that's interesting for me is when it's when it's when it's your family member, your dad, as I read the Warren Commission report. I could picture him sitting in that interview room, you know, because it's so closely related that that's what I think polarized it to me. I could, I could hear him speaking and I could, you know, he's just a very laid back guy and you can see, but tell by some of his answers that he was just, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't like high up in, in the police department. He was just kind of a, you know, a doer guy. And you could tell kind of in that interview that he wasn't, you know, he's not, you know, a leader of the department or anything, but they were trying to trip him up. But I could, I could hear him speaking when I was reading it. Your, your, your listeners are probably clicking us off as we speak. Hey, <laughs> hey, no, they're not. They're, they're probably digging this. This is, this is interesting. This is, you know, this is probably. I mean, I was like extremely fascinated. That was, that was amazing. But you're, you're right. The, uh, the best part was really at the beginning of the interview. Your dad said, he goes, "What the hell? I need an attorney for." That's right. And you know, <laughs> I could see that. I was like, that's what I would have said. What the hell? I need an attorney for. You know, and, and they were like, well, well, you know, this and sometimes this and this. And he's like, no, I only one. So let's go. And so That's I could, right. you know, and then it got uh, there were a couple of questions that were redacted in your dad's deal. Like they didn't have they had your dad where it was saying he was saying something, but there was nothing said, you know, right. on some things. So I'm, I, I hope one day it would be cool. Like one day with documents that actually says what your dad actually said in those things that they took out right. and have not published published yet. So I want to say it might have been some names of some people that were protected. That's why it was redacted, but I can't. Yeah, I got you. Well, that's probably, yeah. you know, kidding. <laughs> All right. So do you, uh, I guess I can ask you, are you going to tell me the same thing, but do you believe there was one shooter? Man. Uh, I mean, in honor of my, my late mother, there was only one shooter, baby. The only one shooter. Okay. We'll stay. We'll, we'll, we'll let you, we'll, we'll go the official David Beatty podcast opinion on the, on the conspiracy. I don't, I think there was, I think there was at least, at least one in front. At least one. All all of my deals I've ever done. There's at least you. I mean, I know how physics works. You know, I, I'm, I'm a math guy. People don't know that either. I'm a history and math guy. 
I know how physics works, and uh, I know what I know when you shoot a deer or you shoot an animal with an inch wounds. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I am just redneck enough to know that. So um, <laughs> I have a, I have a doctorate. I didn't know if you know this. You know, I have a. So I graduated with a uh, bachelor's in uh, sports and fitness management from Troy. I have a master's of education from Northwestern State, and I have a doctorate in common sense. People don't know that. I have a doctorate in common sense. And so using using all of my education and my doctorate of common sense, I'm I'm, I'm not, I mean, there's at least, at least one um, coming from the front. So they won't admit that because that would that would uh, call it a conspiracy if there was more than three shots. So that's where this we're is, at. So this is 59, true. 58 I, and a half years later, that's where we're at. So I, I can't wait for all these documents to become public. Put it that way. There's so many of them. They they they, they could probably release them all and take them a year to figure out what happened. <laughs> this is this was a. I mean, it was on deep level. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, have you watched the JFK revisited? Have you seen that yet? I haven't, but I'm going to watch it now. Not yeah, it's good. It, it, it there's a lot of things in there that wasn't in the you know that that it's really based on the information that has come out basically since the last time you know so it's right. you, you learn a lot and it starts changing your mind again. Man, look, I appreciate the hell out of you, man. I mean, um, I know we we you gave us all the time in the world today. Um, it has been a complete blast. I actually I, I left out because I wanted to get to the JFK stuff, so I left out all kinds of good stuff. We didn't talk about aliens or or any of that good stuff. I'll have you back on some other time. I, I mean, I love having good dudes on here. And again, I want to thank you on behalf of all the coaches for everything you've done, uh, whether you realize it or not, how you've impacted the profession in a positive way. Um, and I know we're all thankful from a coach's standpoint. And uh, I look forward and can't wait to get you back on again sometime. Oh, Tyler, I thank you so much, man. Uh, man, I thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, man, I just love coaching and I love coaches. And uh, what you're doing here is, is awesome. I mean, you're giving uh, an old ball coach a chance to talk a little ball, which has been fun. And then getting to hear your stories have been outstanding as well. So, uh, man, I, I'd love to do it again sometime. Uh, I know you got a lot more polarizing guests than I do, but <laughs> no, but man, I, listen, I, I really appreciate it a bunch and um, uh, I'm looking forward to maybe doing it again sometime, man. We need to go live show to where we go to Dealey Plaza and we and you and I can sit there and and solve the mystery. Nobody else can solve me and you can solve it. What do you think? <laughs> there you go. We'll do we'll that. Do it. I love <laughs> it. All right. Appreciate you, coach. You bet, man. Thanks a bunch. I want to thank David Beatty for joining us. What an interview. I was so excited for that thing. I, I, I couldn't sleep at night for about two days. Um, what a, what a great human being, a great football coach, and uh, a great storyteller. So I hope we can get him back on again. Uh, but looking up, guys, if you're a football fan, this past weekend was for you. The NFL, arguably the best weekend of uh, NFL football that I've ever witnessed. Um, I know some of you guys may be on the planet a little bit longer than me, may know some better ones. But for me, it was pretty good. Uh, we'll start off with the Bengals and the Titans. Uh, Joe, I've turned into the, to a closet Bengals fan. I don't know where it came. I, I always cheer for him with my man, A.J. McCarron was the quarterback. I, but I love Joe Burrow. I do. I love Joe Burrow. I love Jamar Chase. I love everything they're doing out there. It's just the guys got swag. The kickers got swag. They got confidence. I, I just love everything about them. Um, and they're fun to watch. It's fun to be a fan. Uh, but, yes, you can accuse it for whatever you want to. But I've jumped completely on the on the Bengals bandwagon. Um, and what they did this past weekend was phenomenal. They, they squeak it out uh, at the very end, 1916, and get, get the Titans on the road. 
but the, they got to figure out a way to protect Joe Burrow a little bit. A little bit, you know, he gets he gets sacked nine times uh, and just beat up all game long, and that's a ton. And usually, when you get sacked that many times, you have no chance. Uh, but they figured it out, and. The thing that's just awesome when I—it's kind of like almost like when you watch Green Bay. Like when it comes time, they have to have a play. Everybody in the building knows that Joe Burrow is throwing Jamar Chase, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And that's just fun to watch. And uh, they did it again this weekend, and they'll have their chances this week as they go to Kansas City and play. Uh, the 49ers-Packers game, I have to admit, I was a little bit distracted. Uh, we had the UFC 270 going on at the house, so we had two TVs going at the same time, and my son made me turn the volume down on the uh, 49ers and Packers game and turn the volume up on the UFC. So I was a little bit distracted. Uh, but the big takeoff of this game is I was really surprised that the Packers couldn't get anything else going offensively. Nobody's really slowed those guys down all year long, and then they slowed them down at home, uh, when it counted the most. So the 49ers get uh, the big take of this game is was special teams. You had a block punt. You had the field goal at the end, and everybody was like, well, you know, I can't believe that that game was decided by special teams. And people were complaining that special teams shouldn't be in the game or it should be diminished. Look, guys, it's been it's part of the game, okay? It's like free throws in basketball, okay? It's part of the game since the inception of the game. And between, you know, 30 to 35 plays a game are on special teams every game. And so you see a lot of coaches actually take so much emphasis on it and that they put their best players on special teams. And, and for the most part, it works out. Now you have these occasions where like, you know, even in Alabama, you know, Coach Saban forever has put his best players on special teams where Jameis Williams gets the targeting penalty against Auburn on, on a punt cover. And so, but, you know, back when I was at Alabama, you know, Landon Collins, best gunner I've ever seen in my life. And people are like, well, why do you do that? Or what, what's the advantage to, to a player, to a kid? And I tell every player I've ever recruited this, if you are a college coach or if you're a high school coach, especially, and we know we have a lot listening, make sure your players play special teams because guess what? And they got to love it when they go to college because unless they are a first-round pick or a second-round pick or the elite of the elite, they're, if they want to play in the NFL, they're going to have to play special teams. That's how people – make a living because the NFL is a business. If you're the fourth receiver, you're not necessarily the fourth best receiver at camp. Okay. If another guy's a better special teams player than you are, they're going to make the team and you're going to get cut. I've seen it happen a thousand times where guys were like the third best receiver on the team or even the fourth best receiver, but they got cut because they wasn't very good at special teams or didn't want to play. And so attack special teams because that's the way you get a check in the NFL. Unless you are the first round pick, you know, you're going to play special teams. So that game was decided by special teams, but good for the 49ers. Uh, the Rams and the Bucks. okay, what a crazy game. The Rams come out completely dominating the game. I mean, the Bucks are all but out of it. And then the turnover bug hits the Rams. They end up turning the ball over four times, and three of them were just critical. Uh, fumbled the ball on the one-yard line going in to, to put it away. They have a snap over uh, Matt Stafford's head that they just kick a field goal the game's over with, and they were in the red zone. And then they fumble trying to run off the clock. And so somehow or another, you know, the Bucks find a way, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady comes back, he ties the game, and then the, and then the uh, Rams break their heart with Cooper Cup. So somehow or another they've got a, uh, Cooper matched up on a safety and man coverage, and they took advantage of it. Um, and that's what the NFL game's about, getting matchups. So, And then I thought that game – that was an exciting game. I thought nothing could top that. And then we had the Bills Chiefs. 
the greatest football game I can ever remember watching. Um, 25 points scored in the last one minute and 54 seconds. Just a swing of emotions from up to down to up to down to up to down. And uh, it was decided in overtime. There's going to be a lot of talk this week um, and probably the next few weeks about the overtime rules in the NFL. Um, and, look, guys, I mean, it, it is what it is. Everybody knows the rules when you're going into it. But I do feel like there needs to be some kind of change to where at least both teams have a chance uh, to touch the football. Okay, both teams have a chance. You know, some people like the college rules, some people don't. It doesn't matter. I just think regardless of what they come up with, both teams should be able to touch the ball no matter what. Um, and I think, you know, with the, with the uh, magnitude of this game and what happened, I think it's a shame. As good of a football game that was, it is a shame that Josh Allen didn't have a chance to at least go out there and score and at least try to tie the game, whatever it was. Because that was about as well a play of a game as you're going to see two quarterbacks have. So very excited there for uh, uh, the Bills and the season they had. But look, the AFC and again quarterbacks in general, look, they're in good hands. You know, as an old head, you see, you know, Manning's gone, Drew Brees is gone, Rivers is gone. You got Aaron Rodgers is on his way out. Tom Brady's probably on his way out. And to see this youth movement at quarterback with Burrow, Allen, Mahomes, and you can go on down the list, uh, Lamar Jackson, see those guys kind of step up and become the new superstars is, is pretty exciting. This Sunday, we have the AFC and NFC Championship game, and the Chiefs are favored by seven against the Bengals. Um, look, I'm going to tell you guys, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm going to bet with my heart, not my head. I'm taking the Bengals in seven points. Um, I think I just got to. I don't know why. I'm going to take the Bengals regardless. I don't care what happens because I'm not, I'm not finding a way to pull against the Bengals. So uh, that's probably the worst thing to do, betting, but that's what I'm doing. I'm taking the Bengals. Uh, plus the seven on Sunday, uh, the Bengals could be favored by 46, and I'd probably take the Bengals. I'm not, I'm not, will not bet. Uh, I will say this though, being smart is I do think if the Bengals win it, win the game, I think they have to. Uh, I think the the over will hit. It's at 54 and a half. They're going to have to outscore Kansas City. And the scary part is, is I don't know if they're going to be able to protect Joe Burrow based on what I saw this past week. They're really, really struggling in protection, and Chris Jones. Uh, I mean, he may have lead the NFL in sacks after one game. Um, he's going to be getting after. I don't know how they're going to block him. They just need to figure it out between now and Sunday. Uh, the next game is the other interesting part. The next game will the Rams and the 49ers. The third time they've played this season, okay? The 49ers have beaten the Rams six consecutive times. However, the Rams were three-and-a-half-point favorites. A lot of that has to do with how, you know, the Rams have gotten healthy. They're starting to play better with all the superstars that they have. They have more superstar power. But the 49ers have a football team. Um, if it stays at three and a half, I'm probably going to take the 49ers and the points at three and a half because even the games that the 49ers have lost have been terribly close games, you know, three-point games or whatever. So I'm taking the 49ers and the points if it's at three and a half. If it gets under, I may rechange it. But right now, I, I think, you know, if the 49ers lose, it's, it's three points is what they lose by. So from a betting perspective, I'm going to take 49ers and the points. I think that's going to be a very interesting game to see if they can win seven consecutive times against the Rams. One brief thing I want to talk about before we wrap this thing up in the recruiting world is really about how we're approaching recruiting with the younger generations. Um I've gotten some calls this past week about some 24 kids and 25 kids. Um, and then I had a call this week about a kid who's in sixth grade, okay? And 
I don't know what what better way to communicate this is recruiting is going to take care of itself, okay? And with a transfer portal and fewer and fewer spots going to high school kids, don't get caught up. This is the best advice I can give any high school coach or anybody that's a parent of a kid. Do not get caught up in the recruiting game at an early age, okay? Because coaching is going to change. Coaches get hired and fired like every year now. Okay, so the fact that the guy that offered you when you were ninth grade that's going to be at the same job or or that school is going to be there is probably not going to be be there when you when it comes time for you to go to college, okay? And they get they get this thought that I'm a big time college prospect now and I need to be doing this or I need to be doing that and and all you're thinking about is college, college, college and getting recruited and, and liking the recruiting game, okay? And like show me some love, fans, show me some love, all that stuff, okay? That takes away from what got you there, which is hard work and dedication. Okay, the biggest advice I can give you is to every day that you get up and you go to school and you go to the weight room and you go to practice is to go in there like you don't have any offers, that nobody sees you because that's what's going to get you to where you want to go. It doesn't matter what school you go to. So before you pick up and start transferring all over the country because this guy thinks he can get you recruited or this guy, I've seen it happen and it's happening at an insane pace right now in high schools, okay? It doesn't matter where you go to school. If you are good enough, they are going to come find you. It doesn't matter what your win-loss record is. It doesn't matter how many catches you have. It doesn't matter how many yards you rush for. If you are good enough to play on Saturdays in college football, they will find you. It's impossible to hide these days. There's too many resources amongst these universities to where it's impossible to hide. So don't worry about all that other stuff, all those, what we call those external motivating factors, okay? And the last thing is, if you're a parent, I got a phone call this week about a kid that was a a sixth grader, a sixth grader, okay? Guys, that is way too, what are we doing, okay? Because now we have these expectations, and this kid has this expectations that he's going to be some superstar. So in sixth grade, he's five foot three, 115 pounds, okay? So... I don't care how good he throws the football. If he gets to be a senior or a junior or senior, he's five foot seven, 170 pounds. No one's recruiting him as a quarterback. Okay? So don't put expectations on kids that unnecessarily because they're going to think they didn't meet them and now they're a failure. Okay? We have to put realistic expectations on these kids because when they get to where they're going or they don't meet that expectation, they think they're a failure because they're too young and immature to understand it. And so you see a lot of kids get burned out on sports by doing this. You see it all the time when, you know, you're at Alabama or you're at Ole Miss or you're somewhere and you've recruited this, you know, Johnny Five-Star guy, and he could be a good player. But if he's not winning the Heisman Trophy as a freshman, he's, he's disappointed. He needs a change because he's not, you know, performing to his abilities or whatever, and that's not necessarily the case. So be very wary if you're a parent of these kids with expectations, and let's keep things realistic. Okay, and let's just try to get better every day and stay and work hard and just keep your nose to the grind and keep your head down and the things will turn out like you want them to turn out. Um, But putting unrealistic expectational kids, I think, is a travesty that's going on right now. And I see it every day. And it's just getting to the point to where uh, I felt like I needed to say something about it. So, guys, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Like always, make sure you like and subscribe and do all that fun stuff you do. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Home Visit Siski. Um, reach out to us. Uh, DMs are open there. They're open on quick recruiting. They're open on quick you. I've uh, been very obviously very busy with the uh, college market the last few weeks. But if you got anything, any questions, make sure you reach out through DM um, and make sure you like and subscribe.
Leave us our three-star review. And until next time, take care. Thank you.